Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Today, we are speaking with Greg Ward. He is a management consultant, trainer, and coach who is on a mission to help leaders and their organizations develop their skills around respectful leadership, emotional intelligence, and executive presence. Using skills and techniques from his professional training in live theater, Greg began his career as a specialist trainer for the NYPD. Since then, he's developed and delivered thousands of keynote addresses, experiential learning programs, and executive coaching sessions for Fortune 100 and 500 organizations around the world, including ADP, Harley-Davidson, Kaiser Permanente, Kraft Foods, Simons, the University of California, the U.S. Navy, and Warner Brothers Studios. He's here to share some of the key insights outlined in his best-selling book, The Respectful Leader. Welcome, Greg Ward. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Let's awesome. do it. All right. So, Greg, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Wow. I have had a very circuitous path to leadership. I began as a trainer at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City way back in the 1980s, working with the New York City Police Department. And we were training police officers on how to manage and de-escalate what they call EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons, people in the public spaces who had drug and alcohol issues or suicide or violence and so on. And we were teaching them using techniques of live theater, acting and improvisation to help them learn their skills so that they could deescalate situations better. And that was the first time I saw my work as a theater artist be very powerful and effective in a training setting. And one way or another, I've been doing that work for nearly 30 years. And during the middle of all that, I became a journalist for BBC Radio and other UK media during the late 80s, early 90s. I covered the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, and that was amazing. I have eventually moved back to New York City and started using theater again as a training tool for children in schools on domestic violence and drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And then eventually I was commissioned to create a program on diversity and inclusion in the workplace during the mid 1990s and have been doing that work 
again, using theater for corporations and government agencies on diversity and inclusion and other hot button issues. And eventually, back in 2014, I made a slight pivot into the area of respect and what I call respectful leadership. And so that is what I do today is I work with major corporations and also universities and government agencies on diversity, inclusion, respect, conflict, hot button issues that folks have challenges dealing with. And recently we founded an organization called the Center for Respectful Leadership. And we're a nonprofit dedicated to research, training, and executive coaching in the areas of respect and respectful leadership. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> you know, I'm writing some stuff down because your work is so needed. Thank um, you. And it's so timely. We started talking about some situation that was going on in your town and some rioting, and you drilled down on the cause, but you're looking through a lens of someone who has been trained to do that. So yes. tell us a little bit about that. And also, how can we connect with you? Because I'm sure listeners are tuning in and saying, hey, I need him. Well, let me answer the second question, how to connect with me, which is through my organization called the Center for Respectful Leadership. Our website is respectfulleadership.org, O-R-G. And my book is called The Respectful Leader, Seven Ways to Influence Without Intimidation. And you can find that on Amazon. We re-released that in 2018 after it had won a gold medal, which we're very proud of, and become a bestseller. We re-released it in paperback. And if you go on Barnes & Noble or Amazon or any of the websites, in fact, you can go on our book website, which is respectfulleader.com. You can find the book there. It's also available as an audio book. So... The events that occurred in our town, very briefly, approximately 10 to 12 days ago, a police officer approached a black man who was waiting at our trolley stop in town for a friend to show up and they were gonna go off and do some stuff in town. And I live in a small community called La Mesa, California, which is outside of San Diego, not far from the city of San Diego. And the officer's altercation with this man was captured by a civilian on videotape. It was fairly clear both to the viewers of the civilian videotape and then eventually to the police officer's body camera that the police officer was harassing this man really for no reason, pushed him a number of times, and then eventually arrested him and charged the man with assault of a police officer, which, by the way, the charges were dropped a couple of days mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. About three days after that video, the civilian video went viral, we had a very large protest outside of our police headquarters in our little town. And there were many people, I was among them, who were peacefully protesting. We even took a knee. Uh, we had moments of silence for George Floyd. And then unfortunately, from my perception, the police were not willing to try to de-escalate. Rather, they escalated, in my opinion. We're a small town, small police force. I don't think they had the tactical training to de-escalate. I don't think they knew how. Instead, mm -hmm. they wanted to provide a show of force to get us to disperse. And they started lobbing tear gas. They brought out a tactical SWAT unit. And it was a mess. Still, most of the protesters eventually dispersed. And then it became nightfall and looters came in. Mm -hmm. 
people from outside of our town, definitely not from here. Some of them were very highly organized, which was very odd. We videotaped a lot of them. To be honest with you, most of them were white youths wearing hoodies, very disguised, very much trying to hide their identities, who were systematically breaking into buildings. They burnt down two banks and a historical building in the center of town. So that left an extraordinary difficult feeling amongst everyone. The town was shut down, everything was boarded up. The uh, National Guard came in and basically stood guard around the police station and the city hall, which are right next to each other. And uh, the guard left yesterday on Sunday. On Saturday, the community held a vigil for all of the businesses and all the people impacted. It was filled with love. It was mm -hmm. filled with community. It was filled mm -hmm. with decency and kindness. And the police were invited. And the chief came and he spoke. And he didn't exactly apologize, mm -hmm. but he said, we're all hurting. He thanked everyone for inviting and welcoming the police. And then we all took a knee, including the police officers, in honor of George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and all African-Americans who have died at the hands of police officers. And it was a very powerful vigil. So we are not healed. There's a lot of work to be done. I've offered my services to the police department in my work on respect and respectful leadership. I don't know if they will take me up on it, but I feel that we have a unique and diverse community here that is committed to moving forward. Mm -hmm. I believe the chief when he wants to move forward with his police department. So we shall see where it goes. Mm -hmm. We did not experience any more looting after that night. And that's where we are today. We are in the process of beginning the healing and working together. And this is certainly a great opportunity to do that. You know, I love when people have been given a superpower and they live it in their purpose, which it seems to be where you're at. You're an actor and that's yes. your heart. That's your passion. And yes. you use it and it frames your purpose, right? I think so. My father was a writer, a sports writer for the New York Daily News, and I was raised just outside of New York City and lived there for many years. And I worked as an actor, writer, director, and producer in New York and also in the UK in London. And so that experience and my work using theater as a training tool really informs who I am and how I operate to this very day. When I was able to use improvisation and professional theater techniques with police officers and to watch their eyes get big and their hearts get bigger mm. uh, was incredibly gratifying. And to do that in a training room, in an academic environment, right. at a university, just amazing, just absolutely mm. amazing. So it has always been a part of what I do. I am a bit of a performer, there's no question, but I like to think it's real, it's authentic, it comes right. from my heart. Right. And it brings out emotions in people. Yeah. And to me, that's when people can shift, not when they're up here, but when they're in You're here. You're absolutely right? right. We say going through the head and into the heart. Very needed. Thank you. Now, what quotes or advice has helped you during crisis? Maya Angelou said something a long time ago that has always resonated with me especially when I talk with leaders in all sorts of environments, including academia, high school, middle school, business, government, and it's this. People will forget what you said, and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. 
And to be honest with you, I'm not surprised that that you love that quote. I love that quote. And I say it over and over again. Every time I do a keynote, every time I do any kind of training program, I'm always quoting Maya Angelou. And can I give you another one? Do it. When I was a kid, I mentioned that my father was a sports writer for the New York Daily News. And one day, a person showed up at the house to be interviewed by my dad. And I was just fascinated by this person when he walked through the door. I was just a young man, very young, five, six years old. So I followed them up the stairs to my father's study where he interviewed this guy. And I didn't really understand anything in the interview except that this man was very animated and talking uh, quite loudly and intensely. And eventually it ended and the door opened And he looked down at me and said, hello there, little man, what's your name? And I said, Greg. And he said, well, it's nice to meet you, Greg. My name is Cassius Clay. And pretty soon people are going to call me Muhammad Ali. And I'm five, six, and I'm like, oh, okay. I don't, you know, I didn't know who he was. And he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a writer, like my daddy, I knew he was a writer. And he said, good for you. Are you interested in people? And I said, yes. And he said, but are you curious about people like Curious George the Monkey? Well, I knew Curious George. And I'm like, yeah, I'm curious about people like Curious George the Monkey. And he said, good, then I think you'll be a good writer like your daddy. And let me give you one piece of advice. My father never tired of reminding me that uh, Muhammad Ali said this to me when I was five years old. He leaned over and he said, you respect yourself, young man, and you respect other people, and you'll do okay. You respect yourself, you respect other people, and you'll do okay. Now, it's something he said to me when I was a little boy. I'm not sure if he said it again in that way over the course of his career, but he was a friend of our family after that in one way or another, and it was always very powerful to have him in our home or when I went to events where he was at. So Mm -hmm. that's a powerful quote, too. I'm going to state the obvious. You really took that into your work and it drove what you do now with your book, Respectful Leadership. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes. All right. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Do you get headaches or not feel quite right after a glass or two of wine? Well, you're not alone. I recently discovered organic, clean crafted wines that are a game changer for me. Scout and Cellar has a clean crafted commitment to ensure that they produce wines without synthetic chemicals as they take care of the earth in the process. I can now enjoy wine without any adverse effects. Visit scoutandcellar.com forward slash lily. That's S-C-O-U-T-A-N-D-C-E-L-L-A-R dot com forward slash l-i-l-y and learn more about these delicious wines you'll be glad you did great leaders deserve great wines one other thing i wanted to add is uh, recently i made a statement about uh, black lives matter Mm -hmm. and the statement was towards my white colleagues And I don't think it should be a burden to my black colleagues and friends and family to have to explain where they're coming from to white people. Mm -hmm. I think that's my job. I think that's my responsibility to help my white family, my white friends, my white colleagues understand our role in 400 plus years of brutality. And that's very hard for people to hear. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if I don't step up, if I don't 
play my role as I see where I fit, mm -hmm. then who is going to do it? It shouldn't just be a black, yeah. brown people, people of color, people in the LGBT community to be educating us whites. We should be educating ourselves. And that, for some people, unfortunately, is a controversial statement. Mm. But I'm going to do it anyway. I see that as my job, my role. I really do appreciate that. And, you know, we have all kinds of different perspectives. And I think it comes down to what Muhammad Ali said, respect yourself and respect others. And if we respectfully listen to each other, I think we'll be at a much better place. You know, that reminds me, I've been reading this book. It's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. I don't know if you've read it. I've not By, read it, but I've heard, I've heard of it. I hear right. it's really so, good. So she expresses after having gone through a really, really hard day in which slavery was in your face, it was just so emotional. And as I read it, I was like, whoa. People didn't know how to respond. It was students. White students didn't know how to respond. Black students didn't know how to respond. But there was so much emotion. Yeah. And there's this one white student that stood up and said, I don't know what to do with what I've learned. She said, I can't fix your pain and I can't take it away, but I can see it and I can work for the rest of my life to make sure your children don't have to experience the pain of racism. And then she said nine words that I've never forgotten. Doing nothing is no longer an option for me. I get goosies, goosebumps when I Perfect. heard that because... I think that was so well expressed. I think so too. And I agree wholeheartedly. Doing nothing is no longer an option. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I knew about the riots in the 60s and Watson and all of that stuff in the U.S. And I think too often white America said, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. The things have to change and then never made a commitment or had the courage to step in and change it. This is a long, long road. I'm encouraged now, I think you are too, by the diversity that we see at these protests. Young, old, black, white, gay, straight, you name it. Mm -hmm. This is the most diverse protest movement in the history of the United States. And that gives me extraordinary hope for the future. Me too. Thank you so much. Now, Greg, you know, many use the term lifelong learner. What does that mean to you and what are you learning right now? Oh my goodness. Well, essentially to me, lifelong learning is being willing to be open to new learning and new perspectives, even if they differ vastly from your own. And that can occur in a classroom and that can occur out on the street and that can occur in people's homes. You name it, it can happen anywhere. And that's what I consider to be lifelong mm -hmm. learning. Right now, I am reading some of those books that you just mentioned. I'm looking at my own experience as a white person, and I'm trying to find those books that help me understand better how the black community feels, how women of color feel, because that is not necessarily something we're talking about as much as I think we should. And so I'm doing a lot of reading on that perspective, which I've done some before, but not as much as I'm doing now. I feel like I must if that yes, makes sense. Yes, of yeah. course it does. And I yeah. feel the same way as well. As a Latina, I have a son who's black and I really hadn't stepped up the way I feel like I should have. Um, 
before you can correct someone else, you have to take that plank out of your own eye. And that's where it begins because then you also have the compassion to reach out and say, Hey, I was there. How Um, old is your son? He's 17. 17. 17. And I'm curious, do you mind me asking when you had the famous talk with him? Oh, we had that talk when he was around 10 or 12. Um, It broke my heart and it's still something that unless you go through it, you don't understand. It was never part of my culture either. Um, So a lot of emotions. But what I can tell you is that I did an interview with him and a friend and I published it just this week. So have a listen. I will. Wow. How cool is that? Him and his friend just talking. I didn't know what, you know, I was like, okay, let's just ask questions. And just to get to the heart and hear the perspective, you know, and we can learn. And I was there as a learner. He's one of my greatest teachers. So Wow. How cool is that? So there you go. All right. So Greg, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? What concerns me today mostly are two things, to be honest with you. If you had asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have said it's all about how leadership responds to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned that they're too willing to shunt respect to one side while they figure out how to keep the doors open. And all of my research and work says that if you have treated your employees and your staff and your vendors and your customers with respect prior to a crisis, then they will step up for you when there is a crisis. And unfortunately, that may not be the case for a lot of organizations. So I'm afraid that not only did they not treat them with respect before the crisis, but now that the crisis has hit, they're saying, well, I don't have time for respect. And that is a mistake. That's an extraordinary mistake because the research tells us that if you did treat them with respect before, they're going to step up. But now this major crisis, a lot of folks are saying, well, why should I? Why should I go back to work for somebody who doesn't respect me? Uh, Yeah, I need the money. And there's a desperation and there's a disparity between highly compensated individuals being able still to this day to be able to choose who they work for and those at the lower end of the spectrum who just need the job desperately and are willing Mm -hmm. to put up with all sorts of stuff. Now, the second thing that I'm very concerned about is, of course, the response to what's happening in our streets, the protests, the looting, the rioting, and too often I'm seeing leaders go to, we need to crack down. Well, crack down has proven to be a mistake and that we need to hear the pain and the suffering that's going on. We need our corporate leaders and our academic leaders to step up and say enough is enough. We need to hear the pain and the sorrow and the anguish that's been going on for over 400 years in this country. And we need to commit to doing something to making it better. And I'm seeing many organizations are stepping up to that, but I'm also seeing many others saying, you know, we need law and order, we need to crack down. And I think that approach of law and order crack down is only going to exacerbate the tension, divide us even more at a time when we need to come together because our democracy is on a precipice. We are in a very, very unique place in American history. And if we don't manage this well, I am not confident that we're going to come out of this on the better side of it. Yeah, and that's why managing it well doesn't work. We need to lead it well. 
Yes. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what are you most hopeful about, Greg? Well, I am hopeful, as I said, that we're now seeing a movement in the streets that is more diverse in every aspect, gender, age, you name it. It's extraordinarily diverse, even from political diversity. It's just fascinating to see. Mm -hmm. So I'm very hopeful that that huge movement will have legs, as they say, in show business, that it's going to keep running and real change is going to happen. And we're already seeing real change. We're seeing mayors and police commissioners banning traditional chokeholds in policing. We're seeing them taking a look at new ways of policing, a conflict de-escalation. So I am hopeful. I think it's going to be fits and starts. I think it's going to be challenging and it's going to be difficult and harsh and angry and all that stuff. But I feel this is different. I'm old enough. I just turned 60. I feel like this is a big birthday. Thank Happy you. Birthday. Thank you very much. <laughs> the only way I know I'm turned 60 is my knees are killing me. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's just like as soon as I turned 60, bang, my knees said, okay, you're 60, pal. Slow down. And I'm like, no, I don't want to slow down. <laughs> but I do feel like this is different mm -hmm. time than mm -hmm. ever before. Very mm -hmm. unique. And, you know, I can't help but keep thinking how your work is so important, especially now. And I'm hoping that people that are listening will really tune into that and connect with you for some advice, for some direction. I you have know? offered in what we call our opportunity consulting, I'm offering anyone who contacts me through our website a confidential, complimentary coaching session. Perfect. on any issue they want related to leadership and respect and respectful leadership. Anything Perfect. they want to talk about, it's free, it's complimentary. Just connect with me through my site. I'll be happy to do it. And that's in any industry, government, academia, it doesn't matter. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Perfect. Thank you so much. My now, pleasure. All right, Greg. So Jennifer Longmore wants to know, what is your vision and contribution for the new paradigm in how we treat each other? That's a perfect question for you. Okay. Well, my vision is this. Many of us have heard and know about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's fine. The problem with that is it doesn't acknowledge the fact that all of us aren't the same, that we don't necessarily want to be done unto the same way. So I want us to add in and work with what's called the platinum rule that was developed by Dr. Tony Alessandra. And basically the platinum rule says this, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So I'd like us to treat each other by combining the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, and the platinum rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto them, working in concert together. I love that. And we should develop a titanium rule. Yes. <laughs> Where first we listen to what they want us to do unto them. Yeah, we have to ask. Yeah. That's key because sometimes we think about, oh, this is what they want. Right. Not ever asking. It's, it's not so ever, true. That's I, the titanium rule. Come on, Greg. Okay. Ask first and then apply golden rule and platinum rule. That's and the then titanium you come with rule. the titanium rule. I love and it. And that was coined right here on this podcast. Thank you very much. Really you got and it. Greg Ward. We did it. Titanium rule. We got it. Ask first. <laughs> right. Before you do unto anything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Greg, as a listener of this podcast, 
what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Okay. I would like to know, what are you actually doing beyond what you're saying to make a positive difference in the world? How are you walking your talk is basically what I want to know. Okay, perfect. I love that question. Thank All you. right. So Greg, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I would like to share that I am hopeful for the future. We, in so many ways, are the greatest country in history. We also have great challenges that we must overcome. We shouldn't stop. We can celebrate this country and challenge and hold it accountable to the highest standards of democracy. And we can do both of those things together. Great way to end. I want to thank you for adding value to me and to our listeners. And thank you for adding value and making a positive difference in the world with what you're doing. It's my pleasure. All right. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Stay safe. Yes, you too. All right. Bye-bye. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.